then uh, we'll get started this morning. So, Father, um, we thank you. Thank you that uh, we can come uh, right now, um, open up your word and learn from it. Lord, um, we ask that your Holy Spirit would open up our ears to hear and, your, and our hearts to receive your word this morning, that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged Lord, that uh, we uh, would follow Paul's example and not settle for second best, but give you the best of ourselves, of our lives, completely devoted to you. Lord, we thank you. And I ask again for, for uh, uh, help uh, so that I can get my words together, that I'd be clear and I'd be faithful to your word this morning. Ultimately, Lord, it's all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you have your Bibles, we are continuing our series looking at the book of Philippians. So you can turn there, Philippians chapter 4. We're already at the end of this letter. Here comes a tear coming down my face. It's been a great, great uh, book to be going through. Next week, we'll be closing off uh, the entire series. And then the last two uh, Sundays of November, Jim Stone will be preaching and encourage you to come. He's going to be preaching on some uh, great uh, topics. Um, And then uh, when we come into December, we'll start a Christmas series looking at the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. And so we are already there, people. I had a friend who every year would come by my office and say, Tempest Fugit, which is Latin for time flies. And yes, it does. And the more, the older you get, it seems like the time goes by even more quick. Because I don't know if you were little, it was like, oh, you know, my birthday couldn't come close, you know, fast enough. My vacation couldn't come. All selfishly motivated, obviously. But it, it takes so long now, it's like, wow, another year has just gone by. It's just crazy. So anyways, oh, John's going to be getting married in a couple of weeks. So yeah. So we'll be uh, celebrating and eventually you'll bring Amy and we won't try to scare her off and uh, just praying for Amy. And uh, John's a very lucky man, um, but we pray for Amy. No, she's a wonderful, wonderful lady. So they're both lucky. Uh, well, actually for not lucky. They're both blessed, both blessed. And so, uh, anyways, we're here at Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at verses 2 through 9. And so I'm just going to go ahead and read those, that passage, and then we'll take our time uh, digesting it. So, starting at verse 2 of chapter 4, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche. Is that how you pronounce their names? I don't know, but that's what I'm going with, okay? So I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if, there's in any, if there is in any excellence if, if, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. 
So this is an ancient letter written probably between the, the, the times of 60 and 62 AD, written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the city of Philippi. And the reason why he's writing this letter is to respond really for the, to the gift that uh, they sent him, a, a financial gift to provide for his needs as he's in prison in Rome awaiting trial. And, and in those days, again, the, the Roman guards, uh, it was not their responsibility to provide for the general needs of their prisoners. And so prisoners relied heavily on the contributions of family and friends. And so that's what these, this, this church almost 800 miles away did. They sent a guy named Epaphroditus to travel mostly on foot, almost dies because of that travel to deliver this gift. And so he's responding saying, you know, I appreciate this gift. I'm so happy. I love you guys. Uh, um, and I, I, he wants to encourage them and he wants to also give them uh, further instructions. Now, when we come to this section in chapter four, verse two, it's, it's really a section part of a much bigger conversation. And, and we, we understand that because if we look at verse one of chapter four, Paul says, therefore, now that word in the Greek doesn't mean as a, you know, uh, as a result or in conclusion, it literally means thus or and so in light of what I just said. So he says, therefore, in light of what I just said, my beloved brothers, those who I love, uh, my, my family, my spiritual family members, whom I long to see, again, I miss you guys, my joy and my crown, you're my source of, of happiness and, and, and you're very special to me. He gives the command, stand firm in the Lord. It's the idea of hold your ground in the Lord in this way. Now it's the idea of what does in this way refer to? Well, again, it's pointing back to the beginning of chapter three and what Paul's talking about in chapter three, but it kind of zeroes in on chapter three, verse 20. So if you want to go there, chapter three, verse 20, Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship, and in the word heaven is, in, is the plural, so in the heavenlies. This is the place where God dwells. And this is not just something we as Christians are waiting for in the future. It's a present reality right now. We are currently citizens of God's eternal kingdom. And because of that, we are to stand firm in that reality. Now, this is basically a reprise or a reprisal or whatever you want to call it, of the main command that Paul gives in chapter one. So go there, chapter one. You'll notice some similarities here. Chapter one, verse 27. The apostle Paul says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word, the word conduct yourselves literally means to be a citizen. So as citizens of God's kingdom, we are to live our lives in such a way that it is worthy or it is fitting, it is appropriate for those who proclaim the gospel, for those who follow Jesus Christ. And so practically, how does that look? Paul continues on. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So as citizens of, of God's kingdom, how are we to live? We're to live in a way, in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. How does that look? Unity. Looks like unity. So then when we come back to chapter four, again, Paul brings up this idea as citizens, we are to live a certain way. We're to stand firm in that reality. And then chapter two, he brings up unity. So again, this is really, really important for Paul. Unity is extremely important. And, 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 and in, in, in chapter one and in, uh, in chapter two, whenever Paul brings up unity, it's, it's always in a general 
way. He's, he's addressing the entire church. Here he singles in on two ladies, uh, Euodia and Syntyche. Again, that's how I'm choosing to pronounce it. You can, yeah, whatever, tomato, tomato. But anyways, these two ladies, he's addressing them. He, he directly addresses them. Now, if you were to put yourselves in their shoes, think about it. If, you're, if you were one of these ladies, you were Euodia or Syntyche, you're sitting in a congregation and you're listening to this letter being read to you. And you're like, oh, this, this, is, oh, this is great. This is encouraging. This is uh, 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 challenging. Man, this is, this is one of the best letters that Paul has ever written us. And then all of a sudden, he, you hear, and I urge Eodia and I urge Syntyche. It would be the equivalent of like, so Jim, go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, on the count of three, everybody, I'm going to say Jim's name and everyone turn to Jim. So one, two, three, Jim. <laughs> Basically, that would be it. Imagine that. Talk about a very awkward situation. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been called out before in front of a lot of people. You're probably like, I just want to find a hole and die there, you know? But Paul doesn't care. <laughs> he loves these people, these two ladies. He doesn't, ma- he doesn't mind that he's being awkward. He doesn't mind if it's uncomfortable. He's like, I have to address this issue. Unity is at stake. Unity is extremely important because when Jesus, before Jesus died, he was praying to God the Father and he was praying for us, all those who would be- choose to, to, to follow him. And he says, Lord, I pray that they would be one just like you and me are one, that they would be united Psalms 133.1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant. Those are great adjectives, right? How good and pleasant it is for brothers to live together in unity. Go uh, uh, to the left of your Bibles, to the next the, the letter, next to uh, Philippians, Ephesians, if that makes sense. Ephesians chapter four. Go to Ephesians chapter four. We're going to start at verse one of chapter four, and you'll notice very similar language in this letter as we find in Philippians. Paul says in chapter four, verse one of of Ephesians, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, he's still a prisoner writing this letter, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Sound familiar? See, two people are involved in this. Great, great, okay, great. Um, I guess the extra hour people just are not <laughs> awake. Anyways, hello, everybody. We're in God's word here. Um, uh, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now notice he says, be diligent to keep or literally to maintain the unity of the spirit. He's not saying be urgent. Uh, uh, eager to to generate unity he's assuming unity is already there you have to now maintain it Uh, uh, Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians that we've all been baptized by one spirit and we've been placed into one body in Ephesians uh, we're, we're as Christians we are part of the household of God so we're part of the same spiritual family we are brothers and sisters in Christ and so there, there is unity there. And, and, and Paul's saying, be diligent to keep that up. Keep, keep that unity going. Because the, the, the reality is, um, 
when it comes to conflict. It's like, just because we're a part of the same spiritual family, we're not all part of the same physical family. You know, we weren't all born on the same day. We didn't all come from the same uh, parents. We didn't all live in the same house, have the same neighbors, have the same, you know, friends, go on the same vacations. And we all don't have the same personalities. We all don't have the same way of looking at the world, thinking through things. We're different. And because of that difference, sometimes conflict arises. Sometimes you know, we, we, we hurt someone unintentionally or maybe sometimes intentionally. Sometimes people hurt us either intentionally or unintentionally. Sometimes there's a miscommunication, a misunderstanding. Sometimes it's just a, a differences of opinion, differences of, or a, of, of, of personality that causes a conflict. We don't really know what the issue is with, between Yoda and Syntyche. Most likely, because Paul doesn't tell us, but most likely it wasn't a heretical issue because Paul was not, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, afraid of addressing that directly. But whatever it was, it, it must have been this personal issue that was that just, again, probably started with them and all of a sudden they didn't deal with it right away, so then it just kind of got bigger. And that's, again, something that we have to understand about conflict. It never just stays with you. Especially if we're part of this thing called the church, we're, we're a part of the same spiritual family. If there's a conflict between one of us, if not, if left unchecked, eventually it becomes a family issue, a church family issue, because now, now the rest of the church is aware. The rest of the church notices the awkwardness and feels the tension. And then if that's left, again, not if left unchecked, division starts arising where people start choosing sides or I'm with him and, or I'm with this person. And, and, and then, that, then that gets bigger and bigger and it just devastates a church. I'm going to use an illustration, and I, I, I think I've used this before, but if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? But um, when we paved the, the, the church parking lot, um, which was great, I mean, it was before it was rocks. For those of you who are new, you, you, you now walk on the glorious pavement, but before you, we used to walk on rocks. And most, likely, most of the time, it was slipping on the rocks. <laughs> That's what it was. But when we got this paved, all the leaders were just like, in like really uptight, okay? And I was kind of like, come on, you guys, calm down. But they're like, we got to get this sealed. We got to get this sealed. We got to get this sealed right away, right away. Okay, are we on the calendar? Good, good, good. Oh, it's getting pushed back. And then I was kind of like, well, that's kind of silly. But then I was like, well, there must be a reason. I better find out why. And I don't know, dummy me, but, uh, you know, in, in California, I was part of churches where they we put it in parking lots. And so long as we were on the calendar, it really wasn't a big deal when we got sealed. It was going to happen. It was going to be a good thing. But living here, things start to freeze, right? And things turn to ice. And uh, the, the, the pavement is going to start getting these little cracks in it just because of the weight of cars and just the ground is kind of adjusting. But what happens is the water goes into those little tiny cracks and it freezes. And that little crack that you might have not noticed starts getting bigger. And because it's bigger, more water fills into that crack and it freezes and it gets bigger. And pretty soon it gets bigger, bigger. Pretty soon it's, it's, a, it's a grand canyon in the midst of your, your, you know, your, your parking lot. And that's what happens when it comes to conflict in the body. It may start off where you think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's just you know, between us. And, but if left unchecked again, it starts growing and the enemy is all too happy to, 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 to capitalize on that conflict and make it grow more and more and more to where it's affecting the church 
to where eventually it devastates, destroys sometimes the church. Not the church universal, but a local congregation. And so people, you know, may go, well, you know, it's, it's my personal business. Just leave me alone. Paul's like, no, 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 no. This is a family business and we need to address it. Well, why are you up in my business? I'm all up in your business because unity is at stake. Now, I, I, I love the way Paul addresses uh, Euodia and Syntyche. He, he has every right to just pull the authority card on them. You know, I'm an apostle. God has called me. He has equipped me. He has empowered me to do what I'm called to do. You ladies need to ship up or ship, ship shape. Need to, need to work on your, get your act together. But instead, look how he, he, what he says. He says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche. The word urge is parakaleo. It's the idea to implore, to beseech, to ask earnestly, to beg. I beg you, Euodia. I beg you, Syntyche, to live in harmony. The word he uses to live in harmony is, is a Greek phrase, autophreneo. Literally, literally means to be of the same mind. Guide your thoughts together. Come to a common understanding. Come, come to a common uh, a mindset. Where is that focus supposed to be? Look where he says, in the Lord. What helps, what, what, what solves the, uh, the conflicts in, in any church situation, whatever, even conflicts in general, uh, especially with the, within uh, uh, brothers and sisters, particularly, um, is no, um, not focusing on the differences between you, but focusing on Christ. You got to direct your mind to Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, what he is doing, the mission he has called us to be a part of. Focus on that. You know, for, for, for these, these two ladies, again, it, it could have been anything, but Paul's, Paul's, Paul's begging them. He's saying, listen, you know, don't let this, don't let this fester. Don't let this get, get out of hand. Come to a common understanding. Even if you, even if you make the decision not to serve in the kids ministry together or serve on the same planning party for the women's retreat, still come to a common understanding that you are in Christ, that you serve uh, the, the same Lord, the same master. You are, you are, 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 are to, to love one another, to respect one another, to serve one another, to be in partnership with one another. Don't let that, 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 that problem get out of hand. And then Paul, Paul some, sometimes conflict requires some help. And, and Paul brings it up in, in verse three. He says, indeed, or it's, it's an emphatic. It's like, yes, certainly. And then he, he, he enlists uh, an individual. He says, my, my true companion, my genuine, my uh, uh, sincere uh, companion. The, the word companion is uh, sezugos, which um, uh, means a yoke fellow. Has to do with a, a, a little cross beam that animals, two animals would, you know, be attached to, and they would both, you know, together, working together, pull uh, a, a, an equipment, farm equipment across uh, a field. And some scholars will say that that's actually this guy's name, sezugos. Great, you know, 
thank his mother for that um, or parents for that. But regardless whether it is or it's not, this is an individual who Paul trusts and Paul is enlisting to, to help in the situation. He says, indeed, my true companion, I ask you also, I request that you help not just once, but present tense, continually help these women. And when he uses the word help, it's the Greek word sulambano. It literally means to clasp, to seize, to like you're catching a prey. It's not just, oh, well, you know, just, just give them a little bit of help. No, it's like roll up your sleeves, your sleeves and get right in there. Grab them, both of them, and say, you're going to fix this. We're going to work together. Like get into that. Well, that's kind of, you know, getting personal. And I, we're, you know, we're called to kind of give people their, their, you know, their, their space. No, you're not. No, you're not. Step in there. Again, unity is at stake. Get in there. Help these women. Why? Because he says, they, they've shared my struggle in the, cause, in the cause of the gospel. These are not perfect women, but they're faithful women. They've been, we've, been, we've been striving together, cooperating side by side. And then he says, together with Clement, which some people say is Clement of Rome, which there, to let you know, there is really not a lot of, of um, uh, evidence to actually make that claim. It's, so this is just another guy, Clement, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, my co-laborers whose name are in the book of life. In other words, what Paul's saying is we need to maintain unity. Unity is important. It's important for Jesus. It should be important to us because we're all part of the same team. We're not fighting for, you know, we're not on opposing teams. We're part of the same team, all, all working together for, towards the same goal. One of the things I've noticed uh, since moving here, which by the way, last week would have been our official fifth year being here serving. So that's actually, wow, time goes five. Again, Tempest Fugit. But um, being an outsider coming into this, this, uh, this Central Oregon and Lapine in particular, realize that when it comes to interpersonal conflict that uh, people kind of stink at that. <laughs> you know, it, it's either they don't address it, they just stew over it. I'm just, uh, uh, that person did that. Even if it's a simple, silly misunderstanding, they'll still stew about it. Ah, I'm, I'm too busy. I'm not going to, ah, I don't have time to deal with that. I'm just going to, uh, or they talk about the person that they're in conflict and not directly to them. And you see gossip. You'll see that on, on social media. Unless we actually say, well, yeah, it's really bad out there. My goodness. It's in here too. Ooh, God's quiet. You're getting a little personal. It's a little awkward. I don't care. Unity is at stake. We, we, we started experiencing a bit of this when the whole thing last year came down with, with COVID and all that kind of stuff. We started dealing with that. We started as a leadership noticing some conflicts going on. And it was like, this cannot happen. Just again, like the parking lot, if it's left to fester, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And it's just going to destroy the church. You, you, you all sitting in here, you need to look either to your right or to your left and you're going to find someone who maybe you have a conflict with. Don't wait any longer. <laughs> Everyone's laughing. Oh yeah, you all know. It's like, that's the Holy Spirit <laughs> okay? convicting you, all right? 
but don't let it, don't, don't, don't think it's, it's, oh, it's just a simple little crack. It'll, it'll go away. It'll mend on its own. Don't give Satan an opportunity to make it into a Grand Canyon. Deal with it. If you need help, ask for help. If you notice individuals in conflict and you notice they're not doing anything, help them out. Get up in their business. Invade their personal space. Why? Because unity is at stake. We need to be united. So three application questions that we need to ask ourselves. Number one, do you see yourself as a possible threat to the unity of your church? If you say no, you're in trouble. You have to understand that you could be a, possi- you could be a possible threat to the unity of this church. Be mindful, be aware. Number two, will you ask for help when you have conflict? That sometimes is hard because it's embarrassing. I have a, a certain amount of decorum. I have, I, I, have a, I have a perception that I want people to maintain regarding myself. And if I bring someone in, it could get embarrassing, especially if it's my fault. Ask for help. Be what Paul brings up in Philippians over and over again, humble. Follow the example of Christ. That's the greatest example of humility. Number three, are you prepared to give help? Again, this is one of those awkward moments. Ah, if I, if I try to, I'll feel like I'm butting in. I'll feel like I'm just, you know, again, getting in their personal space. And, uh, again, what's at stake? Unity. Unity. What does it look like for citizens of God's kingdom to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? It being united, being united. And so that's what we're called to do. Be united. Moving right along. Here we go. Uh, Verse four, Paul says, rejoice. This is a big theme that he's been bringing up over and over again in his letter. Rejoice, be glad, be joyful, celebrate. When are we supposed to celebrate? Always. It's the Greek word pantote, which means all the time on every or in every occasion, whether it's a good occasion or a bad occasion, rejoice. And again, this is, this is not a suggestion. It's not like, you know, you should really rejoice. Or I think it would be nice for you to rejoice. This is a command. Rejoice. You be glad. Celebrate. Always, at every occasion, all the time. Now, some people could say, well, that's a little bit... Uh, unreasonable until you recognize the source of that joy. Paul says, rejoice where? In the Lord. That's the key. He's brought this up many times. That is the key. Again, we live in a, in a country that proudly proclaims the inalienable right to pursue happiness, but it's not working. People are not very happy. They may experience happy moments, but the kind of happy, happiness that they're trying to find is this, all, uh, this uh, soul-satisfying, sustainable kind of happiness, and they can't find it. The truth is they're never gonna find it. The only place to find that kind of happiness, that kind of joy, really, and I like to define joy as a resilient gladness. In order to find that joy, it's only in the Lord. 
in who he is. He is is our master. He is our king. He is our savior. He is the one who's forgiven us. He is the one who's brought us into a family. He is the one who empowers us through the power of his Holy Spirit. He is the one who's constantly guiding us and directing us. He's the one who's constantly molding us and shaping us into the image of Jesus. He is the one who is um, one day coming back and every knee is gonna bow and every tongue confess that he is king of kings and Lord of lords. Think of that and you will find joy even in the midst of sorrow. So he says, rejoice. And in case no one heard the first time, he says, and again, I say, rejoice. If you're taking notes, write this phrase down. I heard it. I don't remember where I heard it, but it just, it speaks to this truth right here. Um, Joy is not the absence of sorrow. It's the presence of Jesus. Joy is not the absence of sorrow. It's the presence of Jesus. You can experience joy even when tears are falling down your face. That's awesome. But you can only find it in Jesus. He then goes on with another command uh, in verse five. He says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men or literally allow your gentle spirit to be known at a personal level to all men. The word that he uses for gentle spirit, it could mean moderate, to be mild, fair, to be tolerant. It's one of those interesting words that scholars have a hard time nailing down. But I think the, the best definition of this word, gentle spirit, is a gentle forbearance with others. Let your gentle forbearance with others be known to all men on a personal level. Proverbs 19.11 says, a person's discretion makes him slow to anger. He thinks before he speaks. He understands the situation before he overreacts. A person's discretion makes him slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Ooh. In other words, he's not a loose cannon. They're not, they're not ready to, to oh, I'm e- being easily offended. Well, how dare you? Blah, 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 blah. You have a gentle forbearance toward others. This is, this is grace. This is, ultimately, it points back to the example of Jesus and the example of humility. It takes humility to be gentle with people. You know, you, you, you recognize who you are that you are a fallible individual, that you still need grace and mercy in your own life, and so you then give it to others. It requires humility. There's no pride when it comes to gentle in spirit. And, 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 and when it, this idea, again, gentle spirit, it, it doesn't, nec- doesn't mean that you're weak, that you're just a, a, a being a, a, you're a doormat for people. Okay, this word here assumes that you have the ability to put people in their place. You have the ability to respond, but instead you choose to be gentle with them. You choose to overlook that offense, especially if it means uh, bringing about unity. You decide, you know what? I'm just gonna overlook what that person just said to me so that I can keep maintaining unity. You know, for that person out there who's not follower of Jesus, I'm gonna overlook his comment right now because he really needs Jesus. And so I'm not gonna let that get in the way of me proclaiming the gospel to him. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And then he brings up this this, uh, phrase, the Lord is near. 
Now, some scholars will say that this phrase um, is the why we are to rejoice always and let our gentle spirit be known to men. It's the fact that Jesus is coming back. He's, he's near, he's approaching. Uh, you know, it, 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 because Jesus is coming back, it should inspire us to live a certain way because one day all of us are gonna have to stand before God and give an account for how we lived our life, how we lived for Jesus. And theologically, that's true. Jesus is coming back. And that should inspire us to, to live differently because we are gonna stand before Jesus and give an account for our lives. But I think that this, this phrase, the Lord is near, really connects with what's gonna ha- fall, uh, come afterwards. He's saying that the Lord is near. Basically, the Lord is not in some distant galaxy, completely oblivious to your life, you know, with, doesn't even care what's going on in your life. No, no, no. The Lord is near. And because of that, he gives the command in verse six, be anxious for nothing. Because the Lord is near, be anxious for nothing. So instead, what are we supposed to do? He says, but, which is a strong contrast there, instead of being anxious, he says, but in everything, by prayer, this idea, by, by your, your time speaking with God and supplication, asking what you need with thanksgiving, having an attitude of gratitude. You know, Paul says in, in Philippians chapter two, do all things without complaining, without grumbling. You know, you're not talking to God and saying, why me, God? This is not fair, God. No, you're thankful. I get to actually talk to God. I'm thankful. Let your requests let your, what, what, you're, what you're seeking after be known to God, not just once in a while, all the time. Prayer is to be a, a pattern, a continual pattern in our lives. And what is the result? Verse seven, and the, and the peace, this idea of this confident, expi- oh, no, 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 not confident, expi- this, this, um, that's hope. Peace is, is this idea of tranquility, of harmony. And the peace of God, the peace that originates and comes from God, which surpasses, which rises above all comprehension, all reason, all understanding. What will it do? It will guard your hearts. It will be like a, an armed garrison surrounding your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a, a story of a guy. Um, it's a fake story, just to let you know. But the guy who goes into Starbucks and he sees death sitting, reading a newspaper in one of the booths. And so he oh, strolls over and sits down, and has a conversation. Hello, death, and hi, and they ex- you know, for, exchange formalities, whatever. And he says, so what's your day look like, death? He's like, well, today I'm going to kill 10,000 people. It's like, oh, wow, that, that's horrible. Death and death is like, well, that's what I do. I'm death. And so they end their conversation and the guy leaves Starbucks and immediately he starts calling his family, his friends, he goes, anyone he encounters. He's like, this is what death's plan is. He's gonna kill 10,000 people today. Oh my goodness, it's gonna be awful. By the end of the day, 100,000 people are dead. And so the next day, the man goes and sees death again, sitting in the same spot in Starbucks and says, death, what gives? You said you were just gonna kill 10,000 people. He says, I did, I killed 10,000 people, but anxiety killed the rest. (laughs) Proverbs 12.25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. Uh, Corey Ten Boone, 
uh, said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. The word where we get worry comes from the, an old English root word that means to, be, to, to strangle. So if any of you have ever encountered, uh, ever, ever experienced uh, a crippling anxiety in your life, you know exactly how that feels. You are feeling strangled. You feel like you cannot breathe. What anxiety does, as Paul's bringing out here, is anxiety strangles the joy out of our lives. Anxiety strangles peace of mind out of our lives. And so what is he saying here? He's saying, listen, stop worrying, start praying. And if you follow that pattern, you will experience peace. And it's a peace that is beyond your comprehension. It's a piece that doesn't make sense. You're like, my world is falling apart. All this junk is in my life and I have peace. It doesn't make sense that I have peace, but I have peace. That's the peace that God wants for you. Peace that passes all understanding. Now people would say, well, you know, easier said than done, right? And I think for a lot of people when they say that, it's because they don't really understand what prayer is. Prayer is not just some, you know, um, verbal, verbal processing exercise. It's not as if, you know, prayer is not just where God is just your soundboard where you just kind of unload everything. Prayer is talking to the creator God talking to the creator God and him stooping down, listening to us and responding. Prayer is us talking to the creator God, him stooping down, listening to us and responding. I do not, I, 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 don't, I cannot claim that I understand this mystery of, of how God who knows everything, he knows the past, present, and future, could hear my prayer and respond to my prayer. It doesn't make sense. I, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't know exactly how it works that in the Old Testament, when God is, uh, is talking to Moses and he says, you know, the nation of Israel, they've, they've been sinning. I'm just gonna wipe them all out and I'm gonna start again. Moses pleads with God and says, Lord, please you know, spare their lives. Don't, don't do this. And he prays. And God changes his mind. In the book of James, it says, you have not because you ask not. How does that work? I don't know. But it is something that is readily available to us to take advantage of. And many of us don't. The creator God is right there near us, ready to hear our prayers. What do you need? What's going on in your life? And people are like, well, I, I got to fix, fix this on my own. Are you kidding me? You're talking to the creator God. The God who created the cosmos. The God who's, who's coming back. The God who's going to be, you know, uh, the crowned king of kings and lord of lords. You get to talk to him. And he listens to us and he responds. Sometimes it's not the way, the way we, we, we want, but he still responds to us. Now, some people will say, well, you know, I, I have done that. I have 
prayed, but it still doesn't work. Let me submit to you that the reason why it's probably not working is because you're praying, but you're not really letting it go. You know, uh, uh, Psalms 55.22 says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. Well, one of the beauties of prayer is that, you know, Lord, I can't handle this. I need you. You're stronger than me. I need you to handle this for me. But what ends up happening is some people try to do that, but they still worry about what they just let go to God, all their, you know, their burdens and their cares. They're still thinking about it. It's basically, they're, they're playing spiritual bowling, basically. Have you ever gone to a bowling alley and you see the guy with the ball and he's like, he lines himself up and he goes, he lets it go and it's, it, the ball's gone. And then all of a sudden he goes, yeah, you know, it's like he, he contorts his body to the right or to the left, thinking that he's going to will that ball to move where he, he's, he's moving, right? Sometimes that's how people pray. Lord, I can't carry this. They let it go, and then they're going, oh, but, 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 oh, but, 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 what, 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 what if, what, what if? They're still thinking about it. They're still worrying about it. Instead of just giving it to God. This is a promise here. Don't stop worrying. Start praying. And if you do that, you will experience peace in your life. Whoa. Amazing. Amazing. Paul says uh, uh, in, in verse eight, he says, finally, brethren. And, 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 and here he's actually, uh, there's, a, there's a definite article it's basically the finally brethren. It's basically, this is my final command for you. And what is the command? It's actually at the end of verse eight. It says, finally, brethren, dwell on these things. The word that he uses for dwell, and it's continually dwell. It's a present tense. So continually dwell on these things. The word he uses is logizomai. It, it's, it's, it, it means to take into account carefully, to chew on to mull over. This is what you're supposed to dwell on. Keep your thoughts. Now, throughout the book of Philippians, Paul brings up this idea of refocusing your mind. You know, being of the same mind, focusing on Jesus. It's, 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 it, he, he, he has a lot of mind, head, your thoughts, language going throughout the book of Philippians. And the reason why is because whatever we put in our mind, whatever we are focusing on in our minds affects our heart, affects our, you know, affects our convictions, affects our emotions. And that in turn affects how we live. And so that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, do, do not no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't let this world push you into its mold. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Paul's like here, this is what you're supposed to do. Focus in on these things, these, these amazing things. And he, he lists them. He's, the first one is whatever is true, whatever continually exists as true. It's the Greek word aletheis. It means unconcealed. It means honest. It means sincere. In other words, don't dwell on lies. Last year, um, the sermon that was going on all over the world was be afraid, be very afraid. That's a lie. 
especially if you're a follower of Christ, that is a lie. The other thing we've been hearing is, uh, oh, because of injustice, get angry and start messing up public prop or private property. That's a lie. Um, you know, you, you, it's not, the question is not uh, whether or not uh, uh, you are racist, it's how you are racist. You, you've been brought up in a racist society. There's really no hope for you. You just have to pinpoint where you are racist. That is a lie. Paul says, focus on what is true, what is honest. The next one, he says, what, whatever, we were, we're also to dwell on whatever is honorable. Uh, this is the Greek word semnos, which is, uh, it means reputable, of good character, worthy of respect. It's a word that was used to describe nobility, those who were of royalty. A number of years ago, and I'm trying to remember how long ago, but one of the princes of London or England uh, uh, was in Las Vegas. And it was a huge scandal that happened because he was found out that he was playing strip poker in one of his hotel rooms. And it was like a huge scandal. It's like, well, yeah, I agree that that's bad. But why was it this like blown up everywhere, front page? Because he's nobility. Because he is a royal. He's royalty. And that's not the way you're supposed to behave. And that's exactly what Paul's bringing up. Whatever is honorable, whatever is worthy of respect, good character, dwell on that thing. Then he goes on, whatever is right, dikaios. It means whatever, whatever conforms to the standard of God. Whatever conforms to the standard of God. Hate does not conform to the standard of God, but love does. Selfishness does not conform to the standard of God, but self-sacrificial service does. Killing a, a, a baby in his mother's womb does not conform to the standard of God, but promoting life for that little life, that image bearer, it does. So focus on that. The next one, whatever is pure, agnos, it's with whatever is without defect, means chaste, clean, blameless. We live in a, a society that is just unpure, impure, whatever you want to call it. It's just saturated with lust. Uh, there was a, 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 the latest Marvel superhero movie that just came out has its first official sex scene in it. And I was reading a Christian review and the Christian reviewer says, come on, people, it really isn't that long. Don't worry about it. I mean, how long does it have to be before it's impure? Really, how long? I mean, many years ago, the, the whole 50 Shades of Grey, so many people, even Christians were, oh, this is a great book. Perverts. <laughs> Again, don't think of those things. Be pure. Whatever is without, dwell on whatever is without defect, what is blameless. Another one he, he wants us to dwell on is whatever is lovely. This is the idea of acceptable or pleasing. Whatever is kind of it's like beautiful. It's like you, you look at a, a sunset, that's beautiful. You look at the, the Grand Canyon, have you ever stood right there looking down? It's beautiful. 
You know, even the snow. For some of you guys are like, oh, no, snow. The snow is beautiful. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I guess, Jack, we have to go shoot me out in the woods <laughs> because of heresy. <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't know people were so passionate about that. So moving on. Whatever's lovely. Think of whatever's lovely, not what is unlovely. Huh? Unity. That is you. That is that unity is lovely. Thank you for rescuing me. Okay. The next one, whatever is of good repute, whatever is well spoken of, worthy of approval, commendable. Then he goes on, if if there's any excellence, this is the idea of virtue, if there's anything worthy of praise, anything that's worthy of thee to to shout, to celebrate, to applaud, to honor. Dwell, continually think, take into account these very things. Now, I find very interesting is how all these uh, descriptions and, 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 and announce here uh, parallel with God's word. Go, go with me to Psalms uh, chapter 19. Old Testament, Psalms chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19, starting at verse seven. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much pure gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Skip over to Psalms 119. Long psalm right here. Psalms 119. Psalms 119, uh, verse 165. Psalm 119, verse 165, he says, those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. So when it comes to this list here that Paul is saying, this is my command. I want you to dwell, considerably take into account, carefully take into account these things. You can find them all in here. You can find them all here in God's word. If you pour over this book, if you study this amazing, miraculous book, you will find what is, what, what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellence, worthy of praise. Start here. Jack was wearing a, 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 a t-shirt a few weeks ago that said what? Read we really need to turn that into like a coffee mug and other t-shirts because that's like, that's true. Read your Bibles or read your Bibles this way. 
Paul continues in verse 9, the things you have learned, the things you have been taught and received, this word he said for received, para, para lambano, is a technical term referring to an authority figure passing on something to their, their student. So it's the idea of assuming or inheriting. So what you have been taught, what you have assumed, what you have inherited, received, and heard, and seen in me, here's the command, practice these things. Carry out these things. Perform these things. In other words, follow my example and live by my example. And God, the God of peace, the God who brings peace will be with you. You will be following him. You'll be walking in step with his spirit. He will be with you. So what does it look like for a, a citizen of God's kingdom to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, to live in a way that is fitting. Well, uh, what it looks like is uh, being a, a united people, uh, being a joyful people. I mean, what a horrible witness it is for Christians who are just grumpy. And so we're a united people, we're a joyful people, we're a prayerful people, and we experience peace. That's what it looks like. A peace that passes all understanding, a peace that doesn't make sense. Um, her, uh, the, the, we're gonna, when we close, we're, we're gonna sing a song, uh, very familiar, It Is Well With My Soul. For those of you who are not familiar with the story, it was written by a guy named uh, Horatio G. Spafford. And uh, he was a pretty well-off businessman in Chicago. And he had a son, I believe like three or four daughters. But uh, his son ended up getting sick, I believe with pneumonia, and ended up dying. And, uh, you know, not very, very soon afterwards, uh, a fire breaks out in Chicago and burns down most of, uh, if not all, of his uh, business properties. And... Um, he was uh, really good friends with a, a, a traveling preacher. I believe his name was R.A. Torrey. And R.A. Torrey was uh, scheduled to be doing preaching engagements in London. And so he was friends with the Spaffords. And he said, listen, why don't you just come to London with me? You know, just, just get out of here. You know, just, just, you, you guys need a vacation. You just kind of need to unwind. You, just, you guys have been going through a lot. And so Horatio still had some business because, you know, his insurance, all that kind of stuff. He still had business he needed to, to take care of. And so what he ended up doing is sending his wife and his daughters ahead of him. And they boarded a, a, a steamship and they were uh, out in the ocean of the Atlantic heading over to, to, to England. And they got into some fog and they crashed into another boat and the boat sunk and all the daughters were drowned. And uh, when the wife finally made it to, sh to, to uh, England, uh, she... Um, communicated in a little telegram or tele, tele, telegraph uh, saying, you know, I'm alive, but I'm alone, basically. And, um, and so Horatio G. Spafford, he, he right away boarded a, a, another ship and was starting to head to, to London to, to, to meet with, to join his wife. And he requested from the captain to uh, notify him when he was over the area where his daughters drowned. And so the captain said, yeah, we're, we're in that vicinity. And so he goes up onto the deck and he's looking over the water and he's inspired either in that moment or later on to write the words, when peace like a river attendeth my way. 
When, when, when I experience peace, tranquility, harmony in my life, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou, you, Lord, have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It's like, that doesn't make any sense, Horatio. How can you say that? That's a peace that passes all understanding. That's a peace that you can rejoice in. That's the peace that God wants for you. I don't know where you're at in your life right now. I don't know what's going on, what's struggling. We all have things. We just, we live in a crazy world. Maybe things are you are very anxious. I know as a father, it's hard not to be anxious about my kids. What kind of future are they gonna have? with that way things are going. And so Paul's response is rejoice. You know, well, obviously, first, maintain unity. If there's any conflicts, deal with that. Rejoice, be glad, celebrate. Stop worrying, start praying, experience peace. Think of, study God's word. Fill your mind with all good things. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll go ahead and sing uh, this last song. So, Father, I thank you again that uh, you are the Prince of Peace. The Lord, you are the source of our joy. And uh, not only the source of our joy, you are the source of our unity together as as a family of brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the encouragement. We thank you for the challenge. We pray, Lord, that, um, Lord, as as it fills our mind, as we meditate on this word, Lord, that it would uh, move down into our hearts and become truths that we can believe in, trust in, And Lord, that that would fuel the way we direct, the way we live. Thank you so much, Lord. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who is, uh, and even those who may be watching online who are experiencing uh, the absence of peace in their life, the absence of joy in their life. I pray, Lord, that you would, that this word would encourage them to focus on you, to pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you. Thank you, Lord, that we can, that you hear us. Thank you, Lord, that you respond to our prayers. I don't understand it. It's a mystery to me, but I am thankful for it. May we be a a people that constantly pray, consistently pray, focusing on your word, loving each other, serving you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.